Hello everybody and welcome to the Horseman's Podcast. This is episode one, the first I hope of many. So for anybody who has not read um, the about about section, we do a live question and answer session on the Joe Midgley Horsemanship Facebook page and I take the best questions from that thread and I answer them here on the podcast. You can also email your questions in and I will take some of those and answer those on the podcast too. You can email us in to joe, J-O-E, at joemidgleyhorsemanship.co.uk. Now, shall we move on to some questions? So we have a, a few questions sent in. We had people listening from all around the world. We had a couple of Australians on. We had a few American ladies. And the bulk of people were here in England. But there were some Wales and a couple from Scotland as well, which was lovely to have you all so let's get straight in with a question from rachel so rachel said any tips for getting a horse to go long and low when ridden my horse is quite tense and really struggles to stretch down well if you have a a a horse that is like that you obviously want to find if there is a particular cause and that might be for instance if you spend a heck of a lot of time jumping that horse, maybe going cross country with that horse, eventing that horse, doing something, you know, barrel racing that horse, depending on, on what discipline you do. You might find that that horse is so used to you being in the saddle and going quick that they're just wanting to fight you to go quick all the time. So that's not going to be anything other than you just need to change your routine a little bit, get to where your horse is not expecting to have to run and go quick. You know, they they expect to work on some backing up. They expect to work on some basic flexions and walking small circles and things like that that, you know, that take that away. One thing that does really kind of stand out to me with um, that question, Rachel, is that the bit that you're using, you know, obviously in in your your message, I didn't see, um, you didn't mention your bit, Um, but there are two, two types of bits Okay, there are bar, bar pressure bits and tongue pressure bits. Okay, and obviously a bar pressure bit would work on the tongue, on the bars, on the bars, sorry. What a fool. Um, And a tongue pressure bit works on the tongue. Now, if you have a bit that works on the tongue, that is a lot more likely to encourage the horse to drop their head long and low than a bit that works on the bars. Okay, A a bit that works on the bars is more likely to cause elevation and you know, you're going to get less sort of roundness, but more lift, whereas a, a tongue pressure bit is going to get you more of a drop. Now, you have to be careful with those bits that you don't get overbending. The That obviously is just the mouthpiece. The cheek pieces also have um, different, different um, functions. There are some bits that make no sense whatsoever because the mouthpiece is asking the head to come long and low and the cheek piece is asking the horse to lift up. So as soon as you pull on the rein, the communication is completely mixed because the horse has got the the whole bit and bridle kind of rotating to try and, you know, bring the, the head up and in. And then the mouthpiece is telling them to come long and low. And that, that they're the kind of bits that you generally only ever see with people who are also riding in a martingale and typically a grackle or a flash noseband because... That horse is fighting in every which way to get away from that pressure because it none of it makes any sense. So, if you take something like, if we just go 
go back to basics snaffle wise if you talk about a single joint snaffle you know uh, like you know what what some people call like a nutcracker action that is a bit that has bar pressure if you think of that nutcracker shape that lifts up in the middle the tongue sits underneath that with very little pressure on it whereas the bits that come down you know closer to the cheek pieces they come down and put pressure on the bars of the horse's mouth if you have something more like a French link that's got a plate or a little lozenge in the middle, when you pull on those reins, that plate, you know, that lozenge, that's going to bend because there's there's two points within the middle of that bit that are going to move, you know, that you can, that the, the bit will change angle. That's going to like sit on and around the tongue. So there might still be a little bit of bar pressure, but that's predominantly going to work on the tongue and that's going to ask the horse to drop long and low now it doesn't mean that if you've got a bit with bar pressure you can't get the horse to go long and low it doesn't mean that if you've got a bit with tongue pressure you can't get them to lift it's just one of those things that makes it a little easier if you've got those and i will use those as long as i'm not doing anything that is exerting more pressure because the i don't consider a, like a french link snaffle and a single joint snaffle as two different as, as the same bit you know a lot of people think right a snaffle it's a snaffle and I'm going to do my snaffle work in the snaffle and then we move away from the snaffle it's not like that to me I would have a look at a horse and think right that horse is really elevated and bracy so I'm going to spend some time in a bit that's got tongue pressure just a, a you know maybe a loose ring snaffle um a loose ring french link snaffle and really encourage that stretch and that long and low um that long and low feel and then once my horse is confident and I'm trotting around I've got that long low feel on a loose rein without having to to be asking the horse to get there then I might think about putting them into something that is going to encourage a little more lift before I then progress into whatever discipline we're going to go into so in terms of that obviously your timing is massive okay your timing is so important when you're doing all of these things regardless of your bit Okay, when you when you pick up, and it's quite a common thing in the... I don't like the whole English-Western divide, um, but in the... Well, yeah, in the, in the more traditional English, English world, it is more common to take up a contact, the horse gets into the shape, and then the person holds the horse in that shape. And the problem that you have with that, as you can imagine... The horse doesn't see any benefit to that, okay? What, you know, from a horse's perspective, if, or for, if, think of it from a human perspective. If I'm a person, which I am, would you believe, and somebody asks me to walk forwards, but they can't use words, so maybe they start to tap me on my shoulder, or they poke me with a stick, or whatever, and I, I go, ooh, and I walk forwards, you poked me with a stick. But then when I go forwards, they continue to poke me with the stick and they keep poking and poking and poking and poking and poking. I might figure out to keep walking forwards, but I'm never going to like that person because they keep poking me with the stick for no apparent reason. And the horse is going to feel the exact same way if they get soft. Well, if you're, if you're holding a horse like that, you're never going to get them truly soft. You're just going to get a shape and that's, a, that's, another, that's another topic. Um... If you, you pick up and you get the horse into that shape and the horse is physically being held in there, you know, maybe you've got a stronger bit. You know, maybe you're using a gag or, 
or something that's got a bit more a bit more pole pressure to it and you're holding them in that position the horse is never going to appreciate that they might understand it but they're not going to like it okay and the way that we've got to go about about working with head carriage and working with getting our horses to feel good is that we pick up on the rein the horse gives us a signal that they're thinking about doing the right thing you know if you're if you're looking for long and low for instance you pick up on the on the on the rein the horse they might not even get there that that's this is the this is the tricky thing and this is where the feel comes into it they might not even get it perfect but they offer you know you feel the horse like aiming and trying to come down a little bit and you lighten up on the rein your horse should not need to be constantly reminded okay and that's something that i train into my horses from a very young age is that i, I want them to go at a, a, a particular gate for instance or go at a particular job and for them to be able to keep doing that job until we change something rather than having to be micromanaged all the way through okay so they they start to give you a signal that they're doing the right thing you leave off and you say hey that's the right thing and there's not going to be any pressure you're going to have a really easy time if you just stretch that neck down you know and you might even feel a little bit little bit better when you get there that's the the ironic thing okay we have another question from sue who is on the Wirral in Liverpool, near Liverpool. As horses differ in character, do you do the same thing with every horse at the beginning? Right, that's a good question from Sue there. So, yes and no. Now, if I had 10 yearlings that had never had any kind of real human interaction, maybe they'd just been, you know, lightly halter broke or, or whatever, then, Yes, I would do the same thing with everyone because everyone is going to be a complete blank canvas. Do I do the same thing with every horse that I go out and see when I go out teaching lessons? When I do clinics? When I do demonstrations? No, absolutely not because every horse in that situation has a different backstory. They have a different mindset. They have a different level of try. They have a different story. And because they have a different story, there's no way that I can... I can treat them all the same and I think that is often one of the biggest problems that I I see you know because I get a lot of horses that have been kind of failed attempts you know someone's tried to start them and they got booked off so we'll send them to Joe now or you know somebody somebody has tried to fix the the kicking problem or someone has tried to fix the the booking problem and I often get them as a as a second as a second uh, attempt or quite often a last attempt before they're gonna put the horse down or something not so nice and the the thing about that that you have to understand the root of the problem but a lot of people don't they stick to what they know and when it doesn't work they just do it harder and that is the worst thing that you can do so for instance you know you've all heard a story about a trainer that got after a horse real tough and the, the problem with that is if it doesn't work you change how it works, how you work, okay? If you think about kids, you know, and I often try and compare this to kids, you know, I have a young daughter who, you know, we're not at the point yet where I'm having to teach her things as such because she's only, she's only three months old, but there's going to be a time, you know, and it's not that far away, you know, where she starts crawling around and she starts sitting up and doing, you know, interacting a lot more. And the way that you go about 
communicating with that child has a massive impact on how that child approaches things in their life and it's no different with a horse and if a if a horse or a child has grown up in a in a scenario where every time they have a go at something it might be the wrong answer but they're punished for it then that child is never going to thrive because they're never going to want to push themselves or try because every time they try they get punished for it okay so what what i like to do with my horse is if a horse gets the wrong thing i don't increase the pressure okay if i am for instance asking for my horse to i mean this is a pretty basic example but you'll you'll get the idea from it if i'm asking a horse to turn uh left on the ground so i'm stood in front of the, the directly in front of the horse and i've lifted my left arm up and i'm saying to the horse i need you to go out onto a left circle i'm picking up with my right hand you know with my stick or whatever i've got in my other hand and i'm putting some pressure there and the horse is insistent that they're going to walk to the right okay because that's the that's the rein that they prefer well I'm not going to start whacking the horse, as some people would. I'm not going to start yanking on the halter or doing something that the horse is going to is going to is going to upset the horse, because all that's going to do is get the horse to where they might do the thing, but they do the thing because they're worried about the consequence, and they're not going to strive to do that extra little bit. You know, I I really pride myself on some of the horses that I've worked with for a long time, or you know, horses that I've owned, and they have so much try in them you know they want to please you so much because they've always been encouraged to do it and that's the that's the beautiful thing about it is that they want to do it so much and that's that's something that's so important to me but if you know and and once you know if if they once that horse is walking to the right the pressure stays it's not it's not painful to the horse it's not terrifying to the horse it's not it's not bad for the horse. Eventually, he's going to figure out, I'll try left. I'll just have a go at going left and see see if anything changes. And he goes left and I just quit everything. And even if he wants to just stop and stand still but keep me in his left eye, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that because that's going to be a big positive change. So I've kind of gone off on a tangent there, I'm afraid. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is... If a horse has a problem, you have to find the basis of the problem, but encourage the horse to try. With a horse that, you know, hasn't had any of that, they don't understand people, they don't understand how people work, and they've not had any bad experiences with people, then yeah, I'm going to start at the beginning, I'm going to move their hind feet, I'm going to move their front feet, I'm going to ask for good flexion and softness on the halter, I'm going to ask for backing up, I'm going to ask for moving sideways. I'm going to ask for all kinds of things, you know. You can see, obviously, you know, anybody that knows me, you can see all of my program and my Groundwork Foundation videos and stuff all at www.goodhorsemanshipchannel.com. Let's move on to our next question. Okay, this question comes from Yuda. Yuda is all the way over in Louisiana. So, Yuda's question is, I don't have a lot of time to ride. Sometimes I only get to ride for a few minutes at a time. Is this a problem? And my answer to that, Yuda, would be absolutely not. There are horses that I know that I might only see, oh, I don't know, once a week or once a fortnight, and they very rarely get ridden in between. 
and those horses often progress a lot faster than a horse that is ridden every single day okay and i could be riding those horses for 20 minutes you know it's not it's not about quantity it's about quality okay and this this kind of you know while we were doing the live thread there was a something that a couple of people asked about that i mentioned a few times and that's the deal okay and the deal is if you and this is this is me talking to the horse here if you come into my care whether i be riding you whether i be working with you on the ground whether i just be in the stable with you i am never and this is my deal to you this is my promise to the horse i never never ever ever will kick you will spur you will put any pressure on you with a stick i'll not pull on that halter i'll not do a single thing that puts any physical pressure on you if if you can be my partner okay if you can work with me if you can respond to my body if you can listen to the slightest changes in my seat in my body position in my intention and in in my energy okay if you can do those things i'll never do anything to you okay and every single thing i ever need you to do i will always give you a signal first that's the deal and if you can respond to that signal you're never going to see that stick you're never going to feel that halter you're never going to feel the bit you're never going to feel my legs you, you know what i mean these are all things that the horse can avoid you know and i think when i see a lot of horses they have no choice but to have that bit seesaw 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 backwards and forwards in their mouth they have no choice but to have people kicking seven bells out of their side because that's that's how that horse has been condi conditioned to move forwards and it's it, it it upsets me you know it really does so i always think i'll always incorporate the deal when i'm working with a horse but i always want to step off a horse that's a little better than when i stepped on and sometimes that only takes 10 minutes you do it's not always you have to ride for an hour every day to get the progress sometimes it can only be 15 minutes 10 15 minutes and you can make that horse feel a little bit better about himself than he than he did when you brought him in. That's that's good enough for me. Okay, so we have a double Katie question now. Two Katies, one with an I and one with a uh, one with a Y. Sorry, and one with an I E. So let's go with I E first, Katie, and Katie is from. Yorkshire, West Yorkshire. So, Katie would like to know the steps that I go through to achieve a halt without the rain. Okay, so the stops without a rain, you need to get to where you're... I mean, this is, that kind of links really, really well, actually, with the deal. And the deal, the deal being that you never have to feel any pressure. How I'm going to do this, I'm going to be riding my horse forward just in a walk to start with. And you can even practice this at a standstill, which I'll talk about in a second. You are walking along. You change your seat. So for me, you know, I kind of crunch down through my abdominal muscles. I lower my center of gravity and get to where... Kind of visualize a wormy dog. I'll let you stew on that for a moment. But visualize a wormy dog that's what you want to be doing in the saddle okay you bring your butt right underneath you and you sit down in the saddle okay your horse is going to feel that change in you 
and then you're immediately going to follow that up by taking the slack out of the reins and not asking for a stop but asking for the horse to take a few steps backwards okay you go one bigger than a stop if you ask for the stop it'll work don't get me wrong it will work but what will happen is that when you're riding in a trot or you're riding a canter and you ask for that halt the horse is just going to stick their front legs out in front of them and they're going to bounce into the stop and you see that a lot in like western disciplines that don't have to be finessed with those stops okay so you see it a lot on kind of ranches you see it a lot in barrel racing and all, all the kind of games uh, events because they they need to stop quick but they're not bothered about what it looks like whereas you look at like the cutters and the rainers obviously they they really sit down they slide and all the rest of it and whether you agree with a horse sliding on their hocks or not you cannot deny the athleticism that goes into it so the reason that those horses use their back end so much is because they anticipate the backup, not the stop, okay? If the horse just has to get still, it's kind of, think of like a child running at a, at a wall, you know, they're, they're racing towards a wall or a fence, and when they get to that, they don't slow themselves down before it, they just stick their arms out in front of them and then smash, and that's how they stop themselves. Now, imagine if that child did that every day, all his life, until he was 30, his wrists are going to be in a pretty bad state by that point, okay? So we need to be able to transfer that weight back onto the hocks. Now, if the child did that and just slowed down with their legs, they wouldn't be in a state then because they slow it down. They, they use their legs that are designed to allow them to slow down. The arms aren't designed to take that impact, and the wrists especially aren't designed to take that impact, boom, 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 over and over again, okay? So... Steps to achieve the halt without the rain. I'm riding along. I change the seat. I add it, ask for the backup. It does not take long at all until you are riding along and you change the seat and the horse stops. Now, for me, I go one bigger than that because my sitting deep cue is also my cue for going backwards. So I like to see my horses back up on a loose rein as well. However, you know, if you're happy just with the stop, that's absolutely fine. But for me... And for horses in my program, I, I'm really looking for that backup as well. One thing that you might be thinking to yourselves, is, well, if, that's, if that slowing down cue with the seat is how you stop and back up, how do you just make a downward transition? You know, how do you go from canter to trot or from trot to walk? It's exactly the same. It's just less exaggerated. Okay, you're just a lot lighter, a lot smoother. You don't crunch yourself down. You don't wormy dog nearly as much when you... Uh, when you do it okay katie with a y who lives in wales can i get my horse in an outline in a bitless bridle he snatches with the bit and head shakes a little bit a little bit i've just started with bitless and i'm not sure he is as good he is in as good an outline as he is with the bit secondly will i have as much control okay dokey so we actually had uh, one of our special guests on the Good Horsemanship channel, um, her name is Philippa Christie, and she she's a, a brilliant bitless bridle fitter. Um, she's written books, she's done DVDs, and she does clinics across the UK, and possibly beyond, I'm not sure. Um, and Philippa did a video for the channel where she talked all about the fitting of, of um, bitless bridles. And the video was really, really good because it, she had a skull, 
a horse's skull and she put these bitless bridles onto this skull and showed you where the pressure points were and where the nasal bone was and you know how how you how your bitless bridles should fit and i think that is one of the biggest problems with bitless bridles is that people just don't fit them right so my first part of this question katie is that make sure that bitless bridle fits just because you know you ordered the size that he's supposed to be it doesn't mean that it's supposed to fit i mean i'm not an expert on bitless bridles on the whole like philippa is but i have spent a lot of time riding in the western hackamore you know the bosal um and i know with that you know it's rare you know when i go to a show and there might be 10 horses at that show being ridden in the hackamore and i might there might be one of them that it actually fits properly okay because people just don't understand how those hackamores are supposed to fit on the horse's nose and it's it's scary you know i mean those horses generally take to it really well anyway however that doesn't make it right so with the with the head shaking if that's still going on just make sure that you've not got um you know any fitting problems there now in terms of can i can you get your horse into an outline absolutely there is no reason why a bitless bridle should be treated any different as a bitted bridle people have their own preferences you know for me i prefer a bit with my young horses just because i like the action okay like when when you take a lot of like my equivalent if somebody sends me a horse for starting and they say you know what joe i don't want that horse starting in a bridle i'll say that's cool how about a side pull and a side pull would be my alternative to the snaffle bit so i'll use the the side pull but it's a little bit more crude okay so like anybody that knows me will know i start all my young horses for the first two weeks in the halter in the rope halter the reason that i come out of the rope halter is that it's so much easier for the horse to lean against than a snaffle bit is and that's exactly the same with the side pull it's a little harder because it's properly fitted but the horse can still lean against it now with good timing and good release times and consistency you're still going to be able to train that horse really really well it's not it's not like you know every horse that's ridden in a bitless bridle will be dull because that, that is absolutely not the case but it's harder okay it's harder if you're not a confident competent rider okay um but in terms of getting the horse in an outline i, I can i generally start that with my young horses just in the halter you know before i've even put the put the bit on um, and the second part of your question will i have as much control again absolutely people don't have less control in a bitless bridle what they have is a bridle that the horse can push against less more sorry so what i mean by this is that if you were riding in a bridle before and your horse manages to yeah, kind of it, you kind of hide the problems because maybe you had a martingale on you had a noseband on you had quite a strong bit in the first place you're you're covering up the fact that the horse wants to push and lean and kind of surge as soon as they as you let go of the reins so when you put that bitless bridle on you don't have those cover-ups okay so what you have is a lot more a lot closer to the truth and some people don't like what they see with that so in terms of with young horses will you have as much control absolutely 100 percent with your horse i don't know without without seeing him obviously um but it is not 
that different to a snaffle bit as long as it is fitted properly I would absolutely recommend that you go and take a look at that video on the Good Horsemanship channel that Philippa did for us. Um, and I wish you all the best, Katie. So those were our highlighted questions from um, our Q&A live. I hope you've enjoyed um, my take on those. Obviously, my take is not is not gospel truth. It is my opinion and it's how I would work with things, but everybody is each to their own. So I hope you have had a good listen here. Um, please do me a favor and like, share, subscribe, do whatever you do with your podcasts. Um, if you would like, head over to Joe Midgley Horsemanship on Facebook and you can see the full unedited Facebook Lives. Um, which is where all these questions come from. So, you know, you can see it straight from the horse's mouth, as it were. Um, and get involved, you know, ask a question. Send us an email, joe at joemidgleyhorsemanship.co.uk, and I will get your question answered. Thank you all so, so much for listening, and I will hopefully see you in episode two of The Horseman's Podcast.